Welcome to One Tired Teacher, episode 190. How much more insanity can teachers take until we are left with a national crisis? Today's episode is is heavy. I'm going to tell you that right now. I'm so frustrated. I'm so upset. I'm so angry for teachers all across the country. And I want to talk about it. I created this podcast years and years ago. And it was created to share with teachers the trials and the treasures of teaching. Now, lately, we've been talking about some treasures, and I've had a very special co-host. And I have wanted to think about the positive parts of teaching and people that are hanging in there. And I'm so, so thankful for teachers that are still in the trenches and working like crazy for themselves, for our students, for our kids, for our future. But I also want to speak to people that are feeling frustrated and hurt and annoyed with a system that continually beats teachers down. And so today I am going to address some of those things. So if this is not an episode for you, then I completely understand. And, you know, we'll be back with regular content starting next week. But today, it's just me by myself. And I want to give a voice to those teachers out there that are feeling broken and hurt. I hope you stick around. Welcome to One Tired Teacher. And even though she may need a nap, this teacher is ready to wake up and speak her truth about the trials and treasures of teaching. Here she is, wide awake. Wait, she's not asleep right now, is she? She she is awake, right? Okay. From Trina Debery Teaching and Learning, your host, Trina Debery. Hi. So I want to start off with a little bit of information. So I, as many of you that have been listening to the podcast, you know that, that I have been in education since 1997, where I started teaching first grade um, in my very first classroom. And then it was first grade and second grade, I looped. And so then it eventually ended up being second grade and second grade for I don't know, like 16, 17 years for a really long time. And I stepped out of the classroom and did a student support specialist position, which I had a a very big eye opening and perspective from like an administrator side, it was more of an administrative kind of role. And um, I did that for a little while. And then my administrator was promoted. And then I saw that my school wasn't going to stay the same. And we had different leadership. And there was nothing wrong with my principal. It was really more my assistant principal that I where I struggled because I could see that she was going in a different direction than we had originally intended in our school and the mission. And also, I felt like um, I kind of felt like things were called into play and I was going to be asked to do a job that I hated and I knew that she knew I hated it. So it kind of started with some of that kind of behavior and it was frustrating. So I left that school and I went to become a media specialist only to discover like the pain and agony that I felt as a new media specialist who who was brought in by their new principal and they kind of associated me with the new principal. Nobody liked the new principal. So then 
by fault. Nobody liked me. Nobody was excited about the things I wanted to do in the media center. Nobody, um, everybody was, you know, wanted it to stay old, like kind of an old school way. And it was hard. I didn't have any friends. I didn't have anyone to eat lunch with. I existed in a system that felt abusive and um, hurtful. And the reason I recognized that as abuse was because I had experienced that in my marriage that I had left. And so it was so hard to come to terms with the fact that that's what was happening in the school system in a place where I had felt safe once upon a time where I had felt my best, where I felt smart, where I felt creative, where I felt like I could give all of this attention and love to children that sometimes aren't easy to love, but that, you know, I wanted what was best for them. I wanted them to experience a world of learning and a world of thinking and creating and a love of learning. But it was starting to feel like that didn't matter how kids felt didn't matter. So I really struggled there and I ended up resigning. I took my tenure and my master's pay and my experience and I basically just blew it all up. And I went to solely focus on creating materials for teachers. And I I failed. I couldn't make that my full-time living. So I felt like I failed. It wasn't a failure. I learned so much in the process and I felt like I needed I felt like I needed to step back into a school system because I have always felt like that was a calling for me. Like I was supposed to do that because I felt like I could see kids that didn't feel seen. So, I went back to a school system and I was a student support specialist and that was different this time. It was solely based on behavior. And again, like people didn't like me. Um, People didn't love the methods that I was using. People felt like I was just playing with kids when I was really trying to build relationships and allow them to open up and allow them to feel their feelings and also determine why they were behaving that way so that we could have a permanent fix and not a temporary you know, consequence. And so that was a really hard job. And then we hit COVID and I got to work with kids online and meet with them and help them and talk to them and, and, you know, basically counsel them. And then I helped parents and then teachers needed my help because I, I um, worked on, and I know a lot of different ways of integrating technology because that's, that's what my master's was in. And so I felt needed and appreciated again. And it was such a better experience. Then when we went back, I became the media specialist and I was, I got the opportunity to really get kids excited about books. But then we had a new assistant principal there and she was mean. She was mean. She was nasty and she was brutal. And I felt like I had to hide from her. Like I, like I couldn't have a voice or a say And the things that they would ask me to do felt wrong. They felt so wrong. They felt wrong to me. They felt wrong for kids. They felt hurtful. They felt so hurtful. And so it was in this situation that I realized that I 
didn't feel like this was the best place for me anymore and that I didn't believe that I was called to be in a situation that felt some, not somewhat, felt oppressive. And that's what I want to talk about today because so many of these experiences that led up to me realizing this, um, I have I have really thought about for years. You know, I, I grieved leaving a school system. I grieved leaving the classroom. I still grieve not being with the kids, and I work really hard to provide teachers with the materials that they need so that they don't feel so burned out and that they don't feel like they can't accomplish everything because that's what we're doing to our teachers. We are asking the impossible. And and what finally triggered it for me today, besides all the craziness that we are hearing in the news, especially in the state in which I live, which is Florida, it's like we've gone crazy. We're banning books. We are not allowed to say social and emotional learning. That doesn't even make sense to me. That's one of the reasons why our, we had a massive amount of math books taken off the shelves because they had Common Core and SEL. I, I mean, when did SEL become a bad thing? So we cared about that for like one second in my district. We cared about that, how they feel and how they learn and how they regulate their feelings and all those things. We cared about it for like one second. And now we're not allowed to say that. Now we're not allowed to talk about that. We're not allowed to use those words. We're not allowed to say things. We're actually censored. Teachers are not allowed to have choices or opinions about anything. They are told specifically what to do, and it has to all be exactly the same way. Everything has to be standardized, but don't forget to differentiate. So it is like an oxymoron. It makes no sense. We can now call them character, or not even character traits. We can't even say that. We you have to say like life skills. That's an appropriate use of, of things that we want, behaviors we want kids to have. But we're not even really allowed to say that. And if a parent objects, then we have to take all of that in consideration. And the thing that's so frustrating about that is if parents were consistently active members of their children's education, which I think there's so many out there, so many parents that are, so many wonderful parents where it's a partnership and a team, and they are their children's first teachers. So they matter and their opinions do matter. And I've never had a problem having conversations with with those parents, but it's the parents that are hands off and don't have time and don't pay attention. And those are the ones sometimes that I feel like when they're upset, they they speak the loudest and it makes it really difficult to to take advice or take criticism from someone who clearly hasn't been invested or doesn't know the full scope. And so then I get really frustrated and I think that we've gone crazy. And so I I wonder, you know, I think people say that we're at the end of, a, of public education, like we're that people want it to be destroyed. And I think, what does that mean for our children who live in poverty and our children and families that won't be able to afford something better? What does it mean for them? And what does it mean for all of our teachers who have dedicated their lives to this profession? 
And so I ask you, how much more insanity can teachers take? We already are in a teacher shortage. And and I recently saw this this TikTok video about well, that we're not. We don't have a shortage of teachers. We have a shortage of, of teachers that are going to continue to accept this treatment that feels abusive. So I have a story. I have several stories, but one of the stories that led me to to feel this strongly today to t- and to decide that I was going to do an episode on this besides the fact that the book banning like that that was an episode in itself like i wanted to talk about that like you're not allowed to donate books you know schools are turning parents away who want to give their their books and we're talking about elementary school i am not even talking about high school we're talking about elementary school and we're not allowed to accept books because they have to be reviewed and and then we're putting on the media specialists that media specialists have to review all classroom libraries I had thousands of books in my classroom library. I was not going to take it to the media specialist and have her go through every single title. What in the world? And do they think that people have this kind of time? We don't have this kind of time because like, there's so much work that's being done in so many areas and people are asked to do multiple jobs and take on extra classes. And it's insane. It's insane. So the story that that I'm upset about. So I have a friend, an outstanding, excellent educator, one of the very best that I've ever seen, and who loves to make learning fun, who loves to move her students in a positive light and, and help them find like lifelong skills and a lifelong love of learning. So she was forced to teach a, a a testing grade because she had never been in a testing grade, like a standardized te- Well, she has used standardized tests, but this a grade that is counted against the school and all that stupid crap. Um, so, so she was, by her principles, she was put in a grade so she could see what it was like, which felt in itself to me as an act of like, doesn't that sound terrible? Like I'm going to put you in this. I know you don't like it. I know you're going to, you're not going to be happy, but I want you to see what it feels like. It feels punitive or um, as if she was punishing her in some way because she didn't believe that we should be, everything should be based on a test score and that she didn't believe that kids should feel that kind of pressure and that kids should feel this, this, or be tested to failure, and that they should feel bad about themselves on a regular basis, and that we're practicing test taking like three or four times a year, and we're not actually getting to teach. So that's a whole nother conversation. So she goes to that grade, she does really well, she actually ends up liking it. Her test scores are excellent, if you have to care about stupid test scores. And it wasn't because she practiced the test, it's because she taught them real thinking strategies. And so then she finds out that the next year they're going to have to do accelerated standards and that they are going to not have their students with them multiple times throughout the day. And it's going to be this crazy intense schedule. And there's no teaching of science and no teaching of social studies, which 
what? So she she's upset. She's devastated. She's heartbroken. She's heartbroken for kids. So she moves into the media center, much like me, where I went to the media center almost as an escape from the insanity that was existing in the classroom because I could no longer hurt kids by doing programs that made them cry or made them feel bad about themselves. So I thought, okay, I can go and I can help them love reading. And then I learned about makerspace. And I thought, this is the answer to these students that that don't feel good about themselves as learners. This is another way for them to show what they know. This is this is a beautiful way of thinking and creating and thinking critically and communicating, collaborating. So my friend, she felt she was excited. She got excited. I saw her her rejuvenated and her passion for teaching come back to life as she was she spent the entire summer. Sorry. <laughs> she spent the entire summer getting this this space ready and making it a beautiful welcoming space with this maker space and all of these um, you know, all like decorated and, and, and she didn't, and I told her, I'm like, you should not be giving this much time. We should not be giving this much time of our lives and our energy to, to this system that doesn't care about us. Yet she wanted to do something for the kids. And I, I was recently reading this book is it's actually called The Genius of Jesus. And it was it's talking about, can you be free without power? Is there a way to keep your power even when you've lost your freedom? Which sometimes I feel like we feel that way as teachers. We feel like we've lost our freedom because we we have things, we have no voice, we have no say-so. So my friend, she goes into the media center, she spends the whole entire summer, you know, making this space come alive for kids. And she would just found out today that she has to tear down her whole entire wall, all the work that she's done because they're going to hang a TV because they didn't have, they don't have any technology. And so they decide they're going to hang a TV and her partner who's in there, who does the steam classes, like he wanted technology. And so instead of dealing with this over the summer and taking care of this, it gets dealt with now. So she has to undo all that she did and then recreate it again on whose timetable, on what timetable, who are they going to get to help do this? Because there is no one to help. She does, she runs classes. She has classes all day long. She's on the special rotation and she has to do inventory. It's just one thing after another, which we know as teachers, even when we're in the classroom and we're asked to do more, more, more with less, 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 we have to figure it out. It has to be done. We have to start intervention, but there's no materials. We have to, it's one thing after another. When I was the media specialist, I redid the media center three times, three times. It felt like a psychological experiment. Like how many times are they going to ask me to do the same task over and over again and that I'm going to have to do and that I will keep doing. The thing is, is I was, I kept doing it. Just like when I was in a, a bad emotional experience, I kept staying in it and I, and it always came down to staying for the children. And that's what we feel like as teachers staying because of the children. We do all of this work because of the children, but they use that against us. They use our love and passion for children against us. They ask us to do more. They ask us to work on weekends. They ask us to stay late. They ask us to have less. They don't give us what we need. 
It feels like oppression. We have no voice. We have no say-so. So it's so heartbreaking and upsetting when, you, when you're like, I give up. Like, I just need to give up because you have crushed my soul. So what do you do? How do you, how do, what do you do when you live without power? So living in a continuous totalitarian state leads to an overwhelming sense of powerlessness and resentment. And this can actually eat away at your soul until there is nothing left of you. How hard is that? So, and instead of revenge or, you know, refusal, I don't know what the answer is because I just don't know what the answer is. How much can we give? So when you, when you live in oppression, you tend not to talk about it at all. You don't want to tell people. You simply talk about life and, and you talk about other things and you talk about like, like it's okay and, and everyone around you understands, but you, and you don't say anything. You don't speak about it. And sometimes just because our masters and oppressors allow us to have a measure of freedom or leeway, it doesn't change the reality. Even when some people are some principles, and I hate to say masters because that's such a, a has such a negative connotation, obviously, because it was a horrific thing that occurred in our society, which we should be able to talk about so that we can better understand how other people have lived and felt. And so that we can show empathy, because empathy is the highest form of intelligence. And we need more empathy. So what so what do we do? If we hate a system, that's the problem, because the problem with hate is it makes us all the same. If the only thing keeping us from acting like those who have power over us is that we are powerless, then we are already just like them. If someone never should have had power over our past, or why would we allow them to have power over our future? Because that's another thing that happens. In time, the oppressed becomes the oppressors. How many times do we see teachers that we work with feel like they have a, a, just a minuscule amount of power. Maybe they're the team leader. Maybe they become the AP. Maybe they become a, you know, a student support specialist. Maybe they become one of those things. And then all of a sudden, they are the oppressor. They act like they have taken our power away. It's, it's, it's what history has proven. It's that we need more than a change of leadership or government or district leaders. We need a change of heart. It is quite easy to mistake powerlessness for humility. It is easy to convince yourself that you are different from your oppressor when you are powerless to act differently. It's when you have those that power that you need to act different, differently, that we need to give our, our teams a voice, that we need to give each other a voice. <sighs> Absolute power reveals completely. Power gives freedom to what has been hidden within the human heart. Power tells the truth about who we are. So when you have those moments, you have to remember who you are. And when we're in a system of scarcity and when we're in a system of oppression, sometimes we forget when we are on the other side. 
So to be free of them, you must not become like them. You may not always feel free to do less than is being demanded of you, but you're always free to do more. I think that is so huge. When you when you you may not always feel free to do less. Like you may feel like you have to do all the things that they tell you that you have to do. But we are free to do more. And so sometimes when we think about it like that, when we think about how we can rebel against the system, sometimes we can rebel by doing more and doing it without being required. That is crazy, isn't it? Work done out of freedom is far more fulfilling than work done out of obligation. And sometimes that can become our principle of our life. So when we give other teachers a hard time for decorating their classroom or staying beyond their contract or working on the weekends, maybe we need to stop being so hard on one another. We need to tell them that it's okay if they don't do that. We need to, we need to, to, to not always feel like we have to give in to those things. But if a person wants to, if that's how they're taking their power back, if that's how they're taking back their control by doing more because that's what they have power over, that's okay. That's okay. That can become a principle in their life to do more than is expected. And they will always live free. I never thought of it that way. I never thought of it that way before. Like I felt like I wanted to just not do anything, that I wanted to stop doing everything. I wanted to leave on time and I just gave up feeling like I'm not going to be dictated by this system anymore and you're not going to steal every moment from me. But I think another way of thinking of, and that can be one way, that can be one way that we, that we push back because we're going to have to push back. We need to push back as a, as a collective group. We can't continue to do things over and over and over and over again and have nobody care about the sacrifice that we made. Or either that or we need to know that nobody is going to care about that sacrifice. They're going to expect it and they're going to expect more and more. And the only way to think about it is that I'm choosing this because this is my freedom, because this is my choice. But the moment it becomes expected, then you either do even more so that you're choosing freedom or you stop and you say no. Those are the two options that I see. I'm sure there's more. I'm sure there's more options. But I just want, I just want to say our teacher hearts are sometimes broken when we don't feel valued and we don't feel like we have choices and voices, that's when we need to reconnect with who we are and our purpose. And we need to find our freedom. We need to find ways to be free, whether it's refusing to work beyond our contracts or whether it's deciding that we're going to go even further above and beyond, but we can't beat each other up for our choices. We have to know that each person gets to choose what freedom they hold on to. I'm thinking about you. I'm wishing the very best for teachers, for children, for education. I am hoping there comes a day when we stop making this political and we actually start really caring about our children. 
that we really focus on the human beings that we want them to become so that we can change the world. Thank you for hanging in there with me today in a very upsetting episode. And I hope that I haven't hurt you further by bringing these things up, but I just want you to know that you're not alone and that I'm here, I'm here for you. And I'm thinking about you and I'm praying for you and I'm working diligently to help create things that make a difference for you. This one tired teacher needs a break, needs a rest, needs to refocus, needs to refine my power. I hope that you do the same. Until next time, sweet dreams and sleep tight. <laughs>